This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, right after the book of Hebrews, towards the end, you'll find the book of James. Turn to James chapter 4. As I said just a moment ago, it is important, it is vital for us to understand that God has created us body and soul. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that God created man out of dust and then he breathed life into him, meaning that there is a body that was created And that a soul that was put in by the very breath of God. All of us have a seen part and an unseen part. We have a material and an immaterial. We have an outer person and an inner person. All of you are body and soul. Now in America, we are obsessed with the body. Obsessed. Last year... Americans spent $31 billion on fitness. They spent $16 billion on cosmetic surgery. $12 billion on clothing. And you ready for this one? This one wins. $33 billion on weight loss. Because Americans are obsessed with the body. They're obsessed with image. They're obsessed with health. All the while, the soul of the nation is suffering. And the reality is, is that God wants us to understand that it matters nothing if we save our body and lose our soul. And our soul is the most important part of us. The most important part of you is your soul. What matters most is not what people see and perceive, but what is really going on inside of you. Because the health of every other area of your life is gonna be determined by the health of your soul. The question every week is this, how's your soul doing? How are you really doing? Nothing matters more than your inner person. And yet, that area which matters most, that area which is determining everything else in your life is also the area which seems to get the least amount of attention from any of us. Everything is flowing out of your soul. And what we fail to realize, because it is unseen and it is inner, and because there's so much chaos going on around us, we often fail to see that the greatest battle that we fight every day is the battle for our souls. Ephesians 6 says our battle is not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? It means that there are invisible forces in the heavenly places, demonic forces, that are waging war against your soul. And all the while, we think our greatest enemy is the person next to us or the person at home or the person at work. And we're fighting all these fleshly, political, relational battles. Our greatest enemy is never flesh and blood. There is a massive invisible war going on. And the battleground is your soul. It's not somewhere out there. It's right in the soul of every human being. This is why 1 Peter 2.11 says this. Our flesh is waging war against our soul. There is a massive battle going on for your soul. And as I quoted a minute ago, Hebrews 13.17 says this. God has given you pastors. 
to care for your soul. So that's why this morning, before we, Lord willing, in the middle of February, get into an extended study of the book of Hebrews, we want to spend some time talking about our souls. More specifically, we want to talk about the enemies of our soul. What are the things that are destroying our soul? And I said this to you last week, but I want to get this in your mind. These are going to be four heavy sermons. But the goal is this, is that as we talk about heavy issues like, listen, pride, idolatry, worldliness, and bitterness, the four greatest enemies I'm seeing right now in this moment among the people that I'm talking to, the goal is to deal with the heavy issues so after dealing with them, you might be lighter than you've been in years. That's the goal. What would happen if, if this month, you started to deal with some of these heavy issues and you were willing to go into the hard things and then all of a sudden you bounded into 2021 feeling lighter than you ever have before because God has removed some of the heaviness. That's the goal. You gotta get to the heaviness and talk about the heaviness if you wanna remove the weight. Some of you came into this year feeling so weighed down and you're gonna do all kinds of things physically to fix that but you're never gonna get the weight off if you don't deal with the weight that is in the soul. So this morning, we're gonna talk about the first of all of the enemies of our soul. It is the first sin that was ever committed. It is the root of every other sin that has ever been committed. It is the root of every sin in our lives. It is not only the greatest enemy of the soul, it is the mother of all sin is the sin of pride. Every single sin in our lives has its root in pride. If I were to give you a little piece of paper and a pen, and I were to say, no one else is gonna see this, so don't be afraid what you're gonna write, write down what you would regard as the most heinous sins of all. You would write down the most unimaginable, the things that if they come to our mind, we say, I don't even wanna think about that, of what could happen to someone that we love. And we would think about all the things that God hates the most. And I would imagine that very few of us would have at the top of the list of most heinous sins, pride. But on God's list, it's number one. Of the most heinous sins on God's list, it is pride. And you say, well, does, does God rank sins like that? Well, the reality is, is the Bible tells us that God hates pride. Proverbs 16, five says this, everyone who is arrogant of heart, which is an Old Testament way of saying proud, listen, is an abomination to God. Another version says it this way, the Lord detests the proud. Proverbs 6, 17 says there are seven things the Lord hates. The first one is haughty eyes. Out of all the list of the Lord, the things the Lord hates, the number one is pride. Amos 6, 8 says the Lord abhors pride. To me, the most sobering of all of God's thoughts on pride are found in our James 4 text. If you're there in James 4, say amen. I wanna read verses one through 10. It says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? To which you say, well, I can tell you who it is. And that's not exactly the direction it's going. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Right there, it's saying there's a war going on in your soul. And if you're not aware of that, it's because you're not fighting it. There is a war in your soul. You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in you? Let me stop right there. When we are saved, God takes the very life of the spirit and puts it into our soul. So at that moment, our souls come alive. Our soul for the first time has a spiritual heartbeat. And what it says here is God is jealous for the spirit that he's put in you. He longs for you to have a healthy spirit filled soul. It says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, and here's our line for the day, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you hearts, you're double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now look back at verse six. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That word oppose is a military term which means to stand against someone and to fight against someone. So it is not a passive term, it is an active term. Meaning when it says God opposes the proud, it means this. God's posture to the proud is not that just he ignores them, that they don't get his best, they don't get his blessing, they don't get his favor. It says more than that. It said those who have pride in their heart and do not deal with the pride of their heart, God is actively pushing against them. Now let me tell you why that should terrify you. Because everything good you want to see happen in your life is going to happen by the grace of God. Every relationship you want healed, every sin you want to overcome, every hope and dream that you have for what God can do with your life, all of it is only going to happen by the grace of God. But if there is still pride that is not dealt with in our hearts, if it is a battle we're not fighting, it's not just that you're not going to receive those things, it's that the very God himself is going to be opposed to you. Does not that terrify you? He says, but, but he gives grace to the humble. Meaning that when we, when we fight our pride and we get humble before God and others, what happens is then the very help of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the empowerment of God, all of his power, all of his resources are at our disposal. It is almost as if the very wind of God is moving you as you get humble. So this is what at stake. What's at stake in this message is everything you want to see God do in your life. Everything. And the more we get humble, Psalm 51 makes this clear. It's the contrite of heart in which the Lord blesses. And if we want to see God do anything in our lives, then we must deal with the issue of pride. The reason that pride is so serious and the reason God hates it so much is because of this simple statement. God hates pride because pride loves self more than it loves God or others. Listen to that. God hates pride because pride loves self 
more than it loves God and others. So what God is saying is this, what I require of you is a love for God and a love for others. I'm asking you to give yourself to the Lord and give yourself to others. But pride says, instead of that, I'm going to love myself more than I love God and others. Now, the greatest difficulty of thinking about pride and understanding pride, and I'm here to tell you the greatest difficulty of preaching about pride is that it has countless manifestations. It's just kind of hard to, to, to get to the root of what the issue is. I began my week on Monday afternoon just writing a list of all the manifestations of pride that I could think of. And I started by thinking of all the ways I see it in your life. You know, I just thought this would be a good way to start. And I, I just started writing down all the pride I see in your life. And, and then I got to the end of that page and uh, told Andrea this week I was just kind of in this funk and depression on Monday and Tuesday. Because the next page was all the ways in which I see pride in my own life. It's just easier to start by pointing it out in someone else's life which is pride. The manifestations are endless. I mean, it really is. There are countless manifestations of pride. And here's what happens. We have all these things in our life that we want to fix. We hate the way in which we speak harshly. We have a critical spirit. We're judgmental. We are bound with greed and insecurity and anxiety and lust and addiction. And we try so hard to fix those things. But the reason we're never going to fix those things is because we're grabbing the fruit and not the root. And here's the deal. If you don't get to the root, which by the way, the root of every one of those things is pride. Then you don't even have the help of God to help you get over all of those things. I read an article from a Christian counselor who said the most difficult thing about counseling, particularly marital counseling, is that a couple walks in and one of the people that's walked in is there because they know their spouse needs to be fixed. The counselor says, I will listen for a while and I will hear everything they say. And then once they're all done, what I will immediately do is point out that the real issue in the relationship is all pride. And then at the moment I say that, the person who wanted the other person fixed now doesn't want to hear anymore and never comes back to counseling because you expose their own pride. And then they never get help. Why? Because their pride will not let them hear that they're proud. And what do you have? God opposing them. They're never going to get help. That everything is rooted in pride. One of the most helpful things I read this week is Jonathan Edwards, some 300 years ago, wrote a sermon on pride, and he wrote what he thought were the seven greatest symptoms of pride. Listen to how revealing these are. Just listen. The first is finding fault. Finding fault in other people, constantly pointing out the faults of other people. This is what bullies do, by the way. Bullies will often, with their words, find fault in everyone else because it takes the attention off of their own faults. A harsh spirit. Speaking and acting in a way that is harsh. Superficiality. I would have never thought of this, but think about this. Someone who always lives superficially and will not let anyone else in their life is doing so because they're terrified of what it's going to mean to themselves if someone finds out who they really are. Defensiveness. A wall goes up when anybody says anything critical. Presumption with God, meaning there's no humility with God. There's no thankfulness to God. Listen to this one desperation for attention. And the final one is neglect of others. 
You see, what happens is when we're proud, we think everyone should be serving us and we don't get served the way that we think we should, then we begin to withhold our service and our affirmation and we neglect the good of others because it takes humility to serve someone else. There are countless manifestations in our life of pride. It comes up every moment of the day. But the real question is this, what is the root? How is it that we grab a hold of pride and see it for what it really is? So let me try to explain it in a couple of ways. The first way is this, listen to this. Pride is self-centeredness. Write that down. Pride is self-centeredness. Pride is rooted in a love and obsession with self. It is thinking more about yourself than you do about God or others. And so God saves us so that our minds might be changed into looking at others and God and serving them above everything else but the pride in our own heart wants to serve ourself. Listen to this. It is manifested in the need to be affirmed, a constant need for affirmation, a need to be noticed, a need to be seen, a need to be heard. Listen to this. A need to be respected, a need to be honored, a need to be served, a need to be appreciated. I just need all of these things. I need you to recognize what I do. I need you to appreciate me. I need you to realize how difficult it is for me. It's all self-centered. Now, this is an important distinction. This is not just manifested in those who think highly of themselves. It is often most manifested in those who think lowly of themselves. See, someone will often walk around and they appear to have a humble spirit because they don't want to bring any attention to themselves and they kind of maybe walk with their shoulders slumped and their head down. But the reality is the reason they may be doing that is because they're terrified of anyone knowing who they really are. And if they just be quiet and don't say anything and don't ruffle any feathers or do anything that would cause any conflict, then the reality is, is that they're going to stay safe inside. But the truth is they're still consumed with self. They're just consumed with self-preservation. But it's all still self, and it doesn't matter if you think too high of yourself or too low of yourself. The problem is you're just thinking too much about self. It is a constant centeredness on self. I think one of the ways this manifests itself often in those who might appear to be more humble, and I see this a lot in men and fathers and leaders, is passivity. You see, if I'll just not deal with an issue then I protect myself from ever being exposed. I protect myself from someone not liking me. And so if the whole goal is self-preservation, you will never do the hard thing because you're just consumed with making sure yourself is protected. Let me tell you one of the ways in which we see this self-centeredness the most, and this right here is gonna be one of the most important applications for many of you. Listen to this. Social media is crack for pride addicts. Social media is crack for pride addicts. Because you're posting things in order for people to have a perception of you, and then you're consumed with who likes it and who says something about it. So you throw something out there and wait and hope that someone says something about it. And then, let's say you stop posting and just stop looking. You know what else social media does for you? It allows you to look at how bad things for other people are. Like I, I heard someone say one time, the only reason they look at social media is to see how out of shape people from high school are. 
So, so what they do is they get on, not worried about how it makes them look, but just with a judgmental spirit to look down at anyone else. And some of you were starting a 21 day fast tomorrow. Some of you, the greatest thing you can do for your humility is just completely stop social media and not be concerned with what it looks like and how you look on it. Either way, the reality is, is pride is just our consuming thoughts of ourself. But the next one is this. Pride is not only self-centeredness, pride is self-deception. This one's a little more subtle. Write this down. Pride is self-deception. It is thinking you are something that you're not. And it's seen in Romans 12, 3, where Paul says this. I love this. Such a great statement. It's such a gentle way to say something rather harsh. It says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think with sober judgment. In other words, you think you're this, and you think you deserve this, and you think everyone else is the problem. Well, you are self-deceived. You're not what you think you are. You don't deserve what you think you deserve. And the biggest issue for us is we live in a time in which everyone wants to tell you that you're a victim. And every problem in your life is caused by what someone else has done to you. And listen, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about bitterness and resentment and how people's actions against you can affect you. But the reality is you can't fix that, but you can fix the pride of your own heart. And the message today is you got to love yourself more. You got to take better care of yourself. You got to have greater self-esteem. You just have to deal with yourself more. Give yourself more. Think about yourself. Give yourself some more permissions. This is deeply rooted in this victim mentality and it's complete deception. See, the problem is, is that when you're so deceived in thinking that everyone is someone else's issue, you can't see your issue. You say, well, how do I know if this is me? Well, let me tell you an easy way. If right now you're really hoping the person next to you hears this message, you're self-deceived. If right now you're wondering how in a passive-aggressive way you can send this message to someone else and say, well, it's not for you. It just really ministered to me and I thought you'd want to hear it. But really you're thinking to yourself, they desperately need to hear this. And if they got this, it would change my life. You're self-deceived. This is real. What happens is, is that pride tends to make us think that we're something that we're not. This may be the biggest battle that Jesus fought with the Pharisees. Luke chapter 18 gives us the great example of this. It says there's a, a Pharisee and a tax collector that both go into the temple. And the tax collector, understanding that he has no standing before God and deserves nothing, gets on his face before God and says, God, I'm nothing. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve anything. The Pharisee walks into the temple, sees the tax collector and prays this, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that man. And here's what it says. The tax collector leaves on his road to heaven. The Pharisee leaves on his road to hell. Because his pride has made him think he's something he's not. He is self-deceived and he will be self-deceived all the way until he dies in eternity without Christ. It is self-centeredness. It is self-deception. The last one is this. Pride is self-sufficiency. It's self-centeredness. It's self-deception. It is self-sufficiency. Meaning it is living as if you don't really need God or others. Now, none of you would, I wouldn't imagine, many of you would say that you're atheist. But we live as practical atheists, meaning we just don't pray that much. We don't ask for help from God or others. And what we're doing is we're thinking that we're 
self-sufficient. So one of the reasons we won't ask for help from others is because it makes us look needy and we don't often ask for help from God because we think we can handle it ourselves. So pride is most often seen in how much or how little you pray. Do you recognize every day that you need God? Do you see every moment of the day that you got nothing unless you get help from God or others? You can't make it on your own. And most of our anxiety and our fear and our worry comes from our failure to cry out to God for help. Pride in a self-sufficient way makes us think that we deserve what we have, that we've earned it. Somehow we are self-made people. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? You know, I had this in my notes. I took it out. I wasn't going to say it, but I, but I want to say it. I was, I was thinking a lot this week about the fact that I love my job. I feel like I have the best job in the world. I mean, I'm not kidding. I love this job. I love working here. I love being with you. I love the responsibilities I have on this camp. I love being here. And here's the deal. You know, this job only comes open about every 50 years. The last guy stayed 43 years. Like if you want this job, you gotta get it. You gotta get it right time. Like this is a hard job to get. And I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. So if you're hoping for it, you better be young. And then I think about how many people wanted this job and how many wanted to be in this church with these incredible people and all of these things. And then I realized I have nothing that got me this job that I did not receive. If I have any gifts or any talents or any work ethic, what of that did I give myself? There are a thousand men who could do a better job than this at me. And somehow God has put me here and there is no room for pride because I don't have any of these things unless they have been given to me. Why, why do I have these gifts and abilities? There's no room for pride. And we act as if you deserve what you got or you work for what you got. You wouldn't have a thing if it wasn't for the grace of God. And humility recognizes that you don't deserve anything but hell. And everything else is a bonus from the grace of God. It is self-centeredness. It is self-deception. It is self-sufficiency. I saw a while back a, a simple illustration of the difference between pride and humility. I think this will help us see it in a clearer way. Humility is basically taking the spotlight of our life and pointing it to the cross. Humility says this, if it wasn't for what happened right there, I would have nothing. That I was born dead in my sins and trespasses. I didn't even have the ability to have faith. That was even a gift of God. And because of what Christ has done for me, meaning he lived a perfect life, which I was supposed to live and couldn't. He died a criminal's death. He was buried for my sins. He was rose, ra risen to give me newness of life. And everything I have of any value comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. I have nothing without that. And God has put me on this earth to point people to that. I exist for that, not only to know it and to receive it and to enjoy it and to find freedom in it, but to make sure everyone else who sees me knows that I don't have anything if it isn't for the grace of God. That's humility. Pride looks more like this. Get home from work. I want everyone to talk about what a hard day I had. Andrea, your day wasn't hard. My day was harder. 
Let's talk about all I do for this family. Let's talk about the sacrifices I make. Let's talk about me. Or it could be more subtle where the spotlight is not like this because you don't want to attention, but you're just desperate for no one to know you. Desperate for no one to know what's really going on with you. The idea is that you're just consumed with the spotlight on yourself and the person who has the spotlight on self can never also have it on the cross. This can't be both places. It's either here or it's right here. And those who choose to live life where it's there receive the empowering grace of God. Those who put it here receive nothing but God's opposition. The question is, how do we take this sin, which is so deeply rooted in us, and how do we deal with it? What do we, what do, we do to get rid of this most heinous of all sins? I think you'll find the baseline answer in James 4 verse 10. Look at it. It's in two words. Humble yourself. <laughs> do you know that's, that, that's not something God does for you. He enables you to do it. That's something you choose to do. I love the way Colossians 3.12 says. Colossians 3.12 says, put on humility. Like I put on this jacket this morning. Take humility and put it on. Pick up the towel to wash the feet. Put on the apron. You put on humility. It is something we are commanded to do. And everywhere we see an indication of humility, it is a command. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. James 4, humble yourself. Philippians 2, 3, don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but... Regard everyone as more important than yourself. Stop looking out for your interest, but look out for the interest of others. This is a daily, moment-by-moment -moment choice you make to turn the attention away from self and on to others and on to Christ. Meaning this, you're choosing to put less attention here and more attention out there. The best way I've ever heard this articulated it's by a man named Tim Keller, who was a longtime pastor in New York City, who wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Here's what he said. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. In other words, I'm not calling you to think you're bad and you're nothing but a worm and you deserve nothing. No, part of my goal is to help you understand who you are in Christ and all that God has given you. God has done more incredible things in your life than you can ever imagine. You are valuable to God. You don't need to think less of yourself. You just need to stop thinking about yourself so much. And what Tim Keller says is there's such a freedom when you get to the place where you're not just constantly consumed with self. And all of a sudden, the spotlight of your life begins to be turned upon Christ and upon others. That's where the freedom is. Now, how do we begin just on a practical basis cultivating this? I want to give you some practical suggestions for today, this week, right now. How do we begin to put on this humility? Write these down. We'll go quickly. The first one is this. Is that you be a servant. <laughs> You'd be a servant. It says in Mark 10, 45, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we talk about all the ways in which we want to be Christ-like, the first one is this, is we consider ourselves of no value and everyone else, Philippians 2, is more important than ourselves. 
That is a, an attitude and a disposition you choose to take. You're not just choosing to serve, you're choosing to become a servant, which means it's not just an action, it's an attitude of the heart when you wake up every day putting on the robe, realizing this, God woke me up today to serve him and other people. And even if no one else blesses me, I'm gonna bless them. If no one else serves me, I'm gonna serve them. It is taking this position of a servant. In John 13, when Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples, the last display he gave them is bringing them to an upper room, taking a basin and a towel, and washing every one of their feet, and then saying this, what you need to go do so the world knows that you're a true believer is you go serve them like I just served you. You pick up a towel, and you don't do it so that someone else washes your feet, you just wash feet. You just serve. This is what love looks like. And we cultivate humility where we choose every moment of the day to live as a servant. I exist for the benefit, the blessing of Christ and others. The second way is this. We affirm others. I, I, I want to plead with you to write these down and practice these this week. To affirm others. Every day we find the good in others and we say it to them Proud people cannot bless others. They withhold blessing. They withhold affirmation. Proud people will not look someone in the eye, even if that person has been cruel and hateful, and say, I see some evidences of good in your life. Thank you for doing this. You did well on this. Proud people always withhold, in a sense, it's almost like a punishment. You withhold affirmation. And one of the ways we cultivate humility is we just start blessing like crazy. We just start looking at people in the eye and say, hey, I see this, I praise God for this, I praise God for this, I praise God for this. And what happens is, is that we begin to sense the grace of God coming in our lives as we start to affirm other people. We edify, we encourage, we bless with our words. We don't constantly bring the conversation back to us. We keep it on them. So we serve and we affirm. The next one is this, we invite input. This one is super helpful and terrible. So we just invite people to speak into our lives. I was talking to Scott Moody this week, our community pastor, and he said, here's the deal with pride, is that every single person has a post-it note on their back that says the ways in which they're pride and everyone sees it but that person. And everyone's noticing it. And they're probably talking about it. And the reason they're not going to tell that person that they've got a post-it note on their back is because they've tried that before and it didn't go so well. Because a proud person does not want to hear about the post-it note on their back. But let me tell you something. I've got 10, 20 of them. And you've got them too. And the only way that you're ever going to make progress is humble yourself to say, what do you see about the pride in my life? So Andrew and I were having breakfast yesterday morning. And I was telling her, what I was preaching and how these are just heavy and hard messages. And she said, not knowing this is in our message, we ought to tell each other the ways we see pride in each other's life. And then immediately without hesitation, she told me one and it ticked me off. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. We talked about, we laughed about it last night. Like she just, there, she, there, it was easy. Like there was just one right there. <laughs> but it was, she didn't think or pray about it. It's just there. And she was right, and immediately everything in me went, you're the one with the, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, you do that twice as bad as I, everything. Like, I couldn't believe how in that moment, everything in me was like, oh, it's pride. 
Listen, you, you have to invite that and then you gotta shut up and listen and recognize that you can't see the posted note on your back, but they can. So don't think it's not there, it's there. One of the greatest things that some of you need to do this week is look to someone who knows you best in the eye and say, not in hopes that they give you the opportunity to, but say, what do you see in the manifestations of pride in my life? The last one is this. We not only be a servant, we affirm others, we invite input, but here's the last one. We get on our knees before God. Our posture before God matters. Our posture in worship is a reflection of our heart. So sometimes when we sing, I will do this. And I'm not doing that in hopes that you see me. It's just I, God sometimes in my life as we sing will call me into a fresh surrender. Lord, everything I have is yours. And uh, I want to give myself more fully to you. And sometimes uh, we will bless the Lord and we'll lift our hands and just blessing the Lord and say, Lord, thank you so much for what I've done. And, and uh, in the same way we go to certain sporting events and we just get affectionate and excited. Sometimes in worship, we just get affectionate and we, we love the Lord. And, it is really humbling to get on your knees before God. It's humbling because see, here's what happened. When you get on your knees before God, you're saying, I don't have anything. Like I don't have anything. Everything I have, it comes from you and God. If I'm gonna have anything today, I need you and I'm proud and I'm arrogant and I need you to break me. And I'm coming here in this posture to say, Lord, I've, I need you to, to give me what I need to make it today. One of the reasons God has called us to pray on our knees is because it's just a constant moment by moment reminder of just how desperate we are for the help of God. What God wants to do in this moment in our church and in your life and in your marriage and your friendships, he wants to break you, literally. He wants to crush you with the realization of your own pride because it's in that moment that he fills you with himself. It is in that moment when you get his grace and his help and his power and all the things you've been longing for start when you get humble before God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning if we would. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.